welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. And this is a podcast being recorded as the ducks, these ducks, those ducks, Los Patos. Who? Who? Los Patos have won six games in a row. This is the fourth time this has happened, Jake, since the 2015-16 season that the Ducks have won six-plus games in a row. Uh, The Ducks haven't lost a game played in the NHL since we last recorded. When's the last time that happened? I think, wait. Maybe the last time we recorded? We recorded last Monday, October 30th, and they... They have not lost. I don't think they've lost since two weeks ago. Yeah. This is now the third podcast... The yeah. Ducks have I uh, no maybe second whatever the last two podcasts the Ducks two, have been on two a sounds streak. right yeah two, two sounds sound, right two sounds right so let's go with that because the last loss would have been on October twenty second and we recorded on the twenty third so uh, yeah so the Ducks are streaking right now they're yep. a vibe one could say they are vibes HC and it's so funny and interesting seeing kind of people waking up and by people I mean national media yeah outlets that don't usually talk about the ducks kind of wake up to this team wake up to some of the great players that are giving standout performances to start the season and i think you just have to kind of let it wash over you have to appreciate it because it just shows that what this team is doing right now is if nothing else it's just fun yeah yeah 100 i mean i was at both games this past week and uh, I was able to go to the game on Wednesday with good friend of the pod, uh, Olaf, and then went on the weekend with my dad and left the game with my dad and actually got a text from him last night saying, or today, today saying that's the most fun he's had at a game in years. Wow. And probably pre COVID was probably the last time him and I've had that much fun at a game where it was honestly like sitting there, not only just like rooting for the team, rooting for them to come back, all that different type of stuff, just being that genuinely entertained at a game, like the Ducks are, they've almost become this little darling of the NHL. Like you hear, I mean, for instance, I think I was listening to What Chaos Today and Pete Blackburn and DJ were talking about how the Ducks are the vibes team of the year. They're just the fun team this year. Uh, there And there are just so many other people. I mean, you had, uh, I mean, this just kind of goes with it, but the Micah puts out uh, on Hockey Viz the, the wildness for teams and the quadrants are, uh, it goes like blah, score early and coast, pure bliss, go down easy, win ugly, endless pain, lose scrappy, and then we may win, but I may die. The Ducks are the closest team to the the we may win, but I may die. Yeah, which just ha- simply means that the games are going to be entertaining. Who knows if they're going to win, but you're going to be entertained. Yeah, I think that as the season has progressed and this is now just general thoughts, the Ducks yeah. have kind of strayed a little bit from that rock-solid defensive identity. Yeah. And, and so they've they've had some of these games where they've just had to survive. And keep in mind, folks, like we are still in a tiny, tiny sample. So yeah. a couple of games is going to skew things. It's going to make things look worse. A couple yeah. of great games is going to make them look better. But I think the, the, the kind of key to it for the key for all of it to me, and this is going to sound cheesy and I apologize you know, plug your nose if you don't like the smell of cheese. But this is a team. Like, there is an identity. They are playing together. They are playing to a system. They are playing, I think, to their coach's image of what this could be. Intense, dedicated, you know, all three zones engaged. And there's just so many different players that you could point to and, and say that they embody that kind of ethos. But 
that's the biggest thing to me. And and honestly, this is something that we have talked about so many times in this podcast for years now is just, man, can we just see a team that has an identity? And I think the Ducks have one. They have an identity and it's just a joy to watch. Yeah. And I mean, on the perspective of the team from a global global sense of things, you even heard I, was, I listened briefly because I was curious what Frank Saravelli would say about the team on the DFO show today. And him and Jason Greger were talking about it. And he Frank brought up yet again the fact that you're not going to have 80-some-odd point seasons from uh, Mason McTavish and from Ryan Strom. Like, that's just 90-point seasons. And I agree. You're not going to get that. But Jason Greger actually pushed back rel- in a, with a really good point that we've been bringing up. Trevor Zegers has two points in 11 games. He's not going to be an 18 to 20 point player. Like that's the thing with this team that I think is so promising overall is that you're getting huge contributions from that second line, from the Vetranos, from the McTavish, from the Strom. You're getting depth contributions also throughout the lineup. You're seeing Sam Carrick with the two goal game, uh, two goal game last night and the, the fourth line showing up in different ways, uh, with that. Um, and so you're seeing every line have a little bit to go off of. And that is something that's really, really beneficial. And at some point, Trevor Zegers, Leo Carlson, and Troy Terry will start putting the puck in the net. And that's going to happen probably around the time Mason McTavish, uh, Frank Vetrano, and Ryan Strom cool off. Because they're not going to score at this rate. They're, they're just simply not. It, it's not what's in their game. It's not where it's at. I would be very, very surprised if all of them end up over a point per game. But you ride this this point production while you can, and especially while another line is not going. Um, and I think it's really, really beneficial to this team to have this right now, especially when other lines are going cold. And you're also seeing uh, the emergence of Pavel Minchukov become, I don't know if I would say a front runner, but a name that's certainly in the conversation currently for the Calder Trophy. One that's being thrown around by a lot of different people. And that is not just kind of us in the Ducks uh, sphere saying maybe he's a sneaky candidate. You had Greg Wyshynski in his article today talking about kind of way too early um, trophy predictions where he pulled a bunch of people from the PHWA. And within that article, I mean, Pavel Minchukov got an honorable mention. They had Conrad Bedard, which I get. It's 11 games. You're kind of going with the, the safe bet there. But you had Minchikov there with as an honorable mention, which just goes to show how impressive he has been so far. Yeah, I mean, you said a whole bunch of things there. So I, I'm gonna try, I did. Sorry. I'm Sorry. Gonna try, I'm going to try to pick up from the beginning. but Go for it. You're telling me Frank Saravalli said something incomplete or inaccurate about the Ducks team? Uh, you're yep. telling me that happened? Yep. Wow, I can't believe it. Yep. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Nope. Be, because um, it's honestly it's been just beat not- to death. Well, it's been beat to death by you, to be fair, fair. <laughs> in our Discord. Yeah. But I my brief comment on it, because I feel like people are really piling on. I've seen people on Twitter, you know, bashing Frank Saravalli, blah, blah. And here's the thing. Yes, Frank Saravalli has had bad opinions in the Ducks that are incomplete or inaccurate or show that he's not watching the games. But folks, we don't have to, we don't have to magnify it. Like, it's just bad bad takery like let it just die yep. a quiet death and here i am giving it a voice but i wanted to address it because it's just been so talked about and i will say that you know frank saravalli being the president of the professional hockey writers association should probably at least watch the games more in depth before having these opinions um about the team about specific players that are so hardline and that's all I have to say. Like, I'm not saying that Frank is always wrong or blah, blah, but I think yeah. 
some of the comments he's made recently about the Ducks are just, it's just like, are you following? Are you watching? Are you paying well, attention? It, it's think, just, it's odd. Well, I think it's just, it, it's more so along the, the narrative that's been built around this team overall with the fact of, uh, I mean, you had the, we talked about it a, a bunch, but the Dallas Aikens kind of media tour at the end of last year went during the playoffs and kind of really made it seem like people were buying that he wasn't necessarily the problem. And what this kind of, the start of the season has gone to show is that this team is not as bad as they, they showed last year, which is what you and I harped on for so much last year. We did so many podcasts saying this team is not this bad. There, there's something going on here where this team is not this bad. And a lot of the narrative going on into this season was, well, it's the same team as last year. They're just going to be horrible. This is a basement dweller, yada, yada, yada. And what they're showing is that no, that is not the team that they were last or the and team it, that they were last year not. is not in it that is not indicative of who they are. And also, I mean, recognition of the fact that people did not understand the prospects that the Ducks had on the blue line. The fact that you had Jackson Lacombe, Lacombe coming into the team, the fact that you had Pavel Minchikov come in and instantly make an impact. And the fact that he is not even mentioned, but Kevin Korchinski is mentioned just kind of goes to show the lack of awareness of at times of this duck system. Well, look at the Ducks blue line. Like this is this is my whole problem with the expectation that the Ducks would be the same as they were last year. The blue line is almost completely different. Yeah. Like like this year's blue line has almost nothing to do with last year's blue line. And so this is why I try to get away a little bit from the comparing this team to last year's team narrative because it's just a different team. I mean, you look at the depth of this team, you look at the fourth line, you know, Brett Leeson playing the way he has. I think a lot of the forward stuff you can attribute to better systems, better coaching, but a lot of the stuff on the on the back end, there's a huge coaching influence there, but these are also just different players. Like Radko Gudis wasn't there, Earl Vakanainen barely played, Ilya Lubushkin wasn't there, Pavel Mitchikov wasn't there, Jackson Lacombe was barely there. Like Cam Fowler right now is on this team is the only regular from, from last year's blue line, and Jamie Drysdale wasn't there either. So it's just not an apples to apples comparison anyway. Yep. So so here we are belaboring that point. We should probably talk about the games that occurred. Yeah. And moving on real quick because we're gonna talk about these games and how the ducks played and get into an all. But one stat before we do all that that I wanted to mention. Uh-huh. Um this is brought up by Eric Stevens. And I think this is a very relevant point when we talk about kind of where the ducks are currently. Why while even though their numbers may not be fantastic I think part of it is a little bit of sample size theater. Um, Eric Stevens put this out after the win last night. The Ducks opponents are combined 37, 10 and three going into that game on Sunday. Yeah. They haven't had a cakewalk schedule. No, they have not. I mean, 37, 10 and three. And when you think about it, the Ducks had six wins um, going in or six straight wins, seven wins overall going into that game last night or sorry, last night was six straight wins. So they had, uh, so they prior to that game they had six wins overall. So if they were playing teams that were 37, 10, and three, they're accountable for three of those regulation wins and all three of the overtime loss or three of those ten uh regulation losses and the three overtime losses. Like that is so impressive when you think about that and the teams that they've played and how much they've accounted for the losses that those teams they've played have had. And I think that just goes to show that this team has had to fight through a really tough um tough start to the season and they've come out with while their numbers aren't fantastic they're serviceable and that is exactly what you want and they've started to build an identity build a culture and the other good thing out of all this is 
Greg Cronin has not said these last games have been good enough. They need to play yeah. better. I mean, even Troy Terry talked about it. I think Mason McTavish talked about it. Like they all know that this isn't the standard, but there's also the simple fact that you're playing last night. Yes, on the tail end of a back-to-back, but you're playing the defending Stanley Cup champions, who to me, even though the Vegas Golden Knights lost and you know may have been fatigued or whatever after destroying Colorado the night before, they still looked like Cup champs to me for most of that game. You know, the Ducks really struggled with the Vegas Golden Knights' just relentless forechecking ability. I think, you know, the game maybe you can point to as a little bit of a concern point is Arizona, where that's a team where we've seen the Ducks play well against, and that was not a strong effort from them. Now, the Ducks may point and say, well, that was the first game coming back from a long road trip. You know, it's it's basically like a road game-ish for them. So I mean, that's, why, that, that's why I'm just not really looking at overall numbers yet, because yeah. you, you almost have to tear it out. Like, what were the numbers in these specific circumstances? What were the numbers against these types of teams on this type of schedule? Like, it's still such a small sample that I don't look at the Ducks' current XGF percentage, which I think is like 46%, and say, ah, that's the team that they are. No. And when they were at like 52% or whatever they were, I wasn't necessarily saying that's who they are. We're, we're still kind of feeling it out as these games progress. And real quick, though, I mean, as you mentioned, I'm going to mention expected goals four percentage. The Coyotes have been good this year. 55% expected yeah, goals four percentage. Yeah, I'm aware. So, so aware. My, my point is that even though you mentioned, yes, the Coyotes, and that's a team they should be playing up to, the Coyotes are not a bad team. They're not. No, no, that, that's not like, what I'm saying. It's just that the Ducks had a good performance against them before. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, the Coyotes are like, their numbers are, their underlying numbers are good. Their record is, is middling, but um, yeah. Yeah. No, the Coyotes are, the, to me, the, the Coyotes are a good kind of, I would say measuring stick for the Ducks because I think that's kind of the tier that they could potentially be in, that they are in right now. Yep. Um, and with that being said, we should just jump into the game from last Wednesday. Yeah. So I think the big story out of this game is Troy Terry kind of, what, what's the thing you guys always say? Ketchup bottle? Oh yeah, that was squeezing. that was a Tamus Lonnie quote. Yeah, yeah, it might might be time to retire that. Um, okay, not the biggest fan. For I mean, there aren't reasons. that many glass ketchup bottles anymore. Anyway, but Troy Terry getting a hat trick, and you know, as much as I, th- you know, as much as it's great for Troy to get a hat trick, I guess this is a little bit of a negative note to start off on. But I don't, I don't think he's just been playing all that well offensively lately. Yeah, I mean, the the story of this game was, I mean, obviously Terry had the hat trick, finishing really well throughout that game, got his chances and were able to, to put them in the back of the net. Yeah, But that was an interesting game because that was one where Ryan Strom uh, was supposed to be in the lineup and then last second was ruled out sick. And so they made a couple of changes to the lineup where Max Jones was put with uh, Carlson and Terry and Zegris was placed with McTavish yeah. and, and Vetrano. And Jones... Terry Carlson just really did not generate anything throughout the game. And so Terry ended up making, I mean, you look at the goals they scored. One was on the power play where he takes a really nice shot coming down the right side, is able to uh, make a perfect shot. And the other goal comes on Pavel Minchikov, which we'll get to a little bit also, having just one of the most dynamic plays I think I've seen live ever. Um, and is able to to go in and, and pick up the, the trash and bury it, which he deserves full credit on. And so it, the goals he scored weren't necessarily due to good five on five process. They came in non five on five situations. I mean, three uh, on primarily. three overtime. Three on three overtime. The the hat the 
The third goal uh, was a Carlson goal that came at five on five with Terry taking the shot and tipping off Carlson's stick. But um, I would agree with that. I think that this was probably not the best process game for Troy Terry. Um, I think overall he's been good. I think defensively specifically, he's been excellent so far offensively. I think he's starting to find his way a little bit more. Yeah. I have one note on that. And then I want to talk about the star of this game for me. So I think with Terry, I think that he's figuring out how to be an effective offensive player within an actual structured system. You know, if you think about Troy Terry under Dallas Aikens the last few years, it was a lot of just take the puck and go do whatever you want with it off the rush. Like now, because the Ducks are attacking in layers and there's other guys that can make plays on his line that are just as good, if if not maybe better, playmaking-wise, he's having to learn to utilize his teammates and not always just it's not always just, hey, Troy, you know, go skate really fast down the wing, make a move and rip a shot. Like he still has that. And that's a valuable component of his game. But I think even Greg Cronin has talked about it with Terry that you know, sometimes you want to see a little bit more give and go, a little more off puck. And that's just not something that Terry has had to develop over the last few years. So I think it's just a feeling out process. I'm not worried about him. The star of this game to me, though, I'm biased because I just did a video on it. But Pavel Minchikov just the amount of dynamic stuff that he did in this game you alluded to it the play where you know he he kills a rush by the coyotes then gets the breakout going the other way joins the rush turns it into a three on two damn near scores all alone off the post and terry collects the loose change like ninchikov did so many different things in this game both offensively defensively in transition I mean, even forechecking at times, like he, he basically like Terry's first goal was off of a Minchikov entry and forecheck. He's a defenseman folks like this guy. It's I've never seen a defenseman come into the NHL and look this good. I've never he, seen it. He is so, so good. Like his ability to get up in the rush. And uh, I mean, he set up the, the first goal also, right? Because he, you just he talked set about up, the-, the first two goals were basically yeah. because of him. Yep. You, you had a fantastic video breaking it all down. And you, I mean, that second goal was just one of the most dynamic plays I think I've ever seen from a player going from his D zone to offensive zone, breaking up a play with a beautiful check separates the man from the puck with a very useful hit there. And then is able to get the puck up through the neutral zone, enters the zone, drops it off, goes, finds a lane and sets up a great chance. Once he's given back uh, the puck and ends up in the back of the net with Troy Terry cleaning up. And I mean, the first goal, I mean, on the power play, he's able to get in on the forecheck because, as you broke down perfectly, everyone else was flat-footed. If everyone else is flat-footed, someone has to get in there if you're going to dump it in. And that has to be the person with speed. And I think what we've seen as an issue, and I think Cam Fowler's been a great player for this team and is great at exiting the zone, but one of his traits that you'll notice a lot of times is he dumps it in and then just kind of circles back. Yep. He doesn't ever really go in and attack the puck afterwards. And that's something you see from Pavel Minchikov right there, where he just dumps it in and goes right after it because he's the guy with speed, so he has to go do that. And knows, granted, it's on the power play, but he knows someone else is going to cover for him in that situation. And that's the thing is, anytime he's out there, it's fascinating to watch whoever's at, uh, or whoever's at forward essentially recognize where he's at and constantly kind of have to go back. And it is way more of a five-man unit than it is forward and defense. Yeah, he puts so much stress on the other team, you know, even when he gives it up. Like, this is what's most impressive to me about him is that, I mean, this is the most impressive thing. There's a bunch of impressive There's things. There's so but, much. There's so is, much. 
what really stand one of the things that really stands out to me, and this is something that popped up in preseason, and why I was kind of thinking, oh, like he might be already great, is that he's so smart without the puck offensively. So he's always threatening, even when he doesn't have the puck in the offensive zone. Like if he's the guy on the far side, on the weak side, if the puck's on the right and he's on the left, like he's he's trying to pinch up, he's trying to you know create passing lanes, and that puts so much stress on a defensive unit. And he's just always doing that. Like his feet are never still. And then you you pair that, you layer that with everything else. And it's just, I mean, I I hate to be so, like it feels almost wrong to be so not hyperbolic, but just so glowing of a guy so early. Yeah. But the tape just doesn't lie. Like what he is doing out there is, it's just transcending anything that I thought was possible from this season. Yep, completely agreed. Um, so yeah, and then, I mean, Anything else from this game? Because there is something I want to touch on also from it. I mean, Max Jones was well, Leo given... Carlson scored. Good for Leo, Leo Carlson scored with a great tip. Yep. Max Jones was given a glorious opportunity within this game. Um, one of oh, probably man. the best opportunities that he's had. To be is with Max Troy Jones Terry. about to catch some strays? He is definitely about to catch some strays. Uh, he was placed with Leo Carlson and Troy Terry. And just for, for reference... Troy Terry, Leo Carlson, and Trevor Zegras, if you look at the numbers for Alliance so far this year with the minimum time on ice of 20, uh, 20 uh, they are the best line that the Ducks have had. At 58.5, expected goals, 4 percentage. This is excluding goals. This is just purely looking at shot production and where those shots are going to be coming from. They have controlled the expected goal share a whole lot better than any other line that the Ducks have had. Now you could quibble with the fact that they haven't been the best offensive line. Uh, That, weirdly enough, actually includes Max Jones, to be fair. Adam Henrique, Jacob Silverberg, Max Jones at 3.58. But Vetrano, McTavish, Strom at 3.37. Carlson, Zegers, Terry at 3. thing that that line has done so well is uh, limit chances against at 2.13. But you add Max Jones to that line, and it just absolutely craters everything. Um, I think they were at like 5%. Going into the third period, expected goals four percentage. And you could just tell that while Max Jones, you he he puts the effort in, gets it on the four check, he just doesn't win the board bat- battles well enough for that line to be able to get the puck back, to be able to um to be able to support those guys in that situation. And I think that he's just someone that was put in this glorious opportunity and did not do anything with it, to be quite honest. Put on the first power play unit also, did not really do anything with it. And it was so much where he was taken off that line going down the uh, the stretch in the third period, and he went from, the first line, went, went from the first line to being a healthy scratch. And it's going to be very curious to see how this plays out from a, a global team perspective because Brock McGinn is skating again. Yeah, and he's close. he's close to coming back. Ross Johnston, and I will give him credit for this. I will eat crow. He has been a lot better than I expected. He just he's hasn't do- been. He just hasn't been. He's just been fine. Like he just he's hasn't been, been fine. Bad. Yeah. And so the question's going to be, what happens when Brock McGinn comes back? Because Brock McGinn is for sure in the lineup. I think he's for sure got to be in this lineup. He's better than a lot of people. He's a really good penalty killer. And so I think Ross Johnson is the most likely guy to come out for Brock McGinn. But with that being said, someone has to go on waivers when that happens. Is it going to be Bo Gru? Is it going to be Max Jones? Because it's got to be one of those two players. I mean, you know who it's going to be. Or is it going to be Ross Johnston? I think the two candidates are Johnston and Jones, but I would put Jones as the leader 
in the clubhouse right you now. Think, you think Gru, J- Jones goes on waivers before Gru does? Yes. Oh, 100%. I mean, okay. Gru still has potential. Like, I Gru, mean, at some point, Lundestrom comes back also, and so then a, another well, player has to go on waivers at that point. Well, well, we'll worry about that when it comes. But I think for right now, like, if you're the Ducks, like, why would you why would you put Gru on waivers before Max Jones? Yeah, like, I, I like, don't. I don't disagree with that like, at like all. Gru has shown so much more this season to me than Max Jones. Um, yep. So that I would just be agree. unfair, honestly. Okay. And the only other piece of information, though, that I do want to touch on from this game is... Or sorry, there's two things now that popped into my head. Three-on-three overtime. Two things from that three-on-three overtime that are worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. One of them is Trevor Zegras. Zegras yes. has weirdly become this... Pol- I mean, not weirdly. He's been a polarizing figure with various different people for dumb reasons for a while now. And there are a lot of people that don't recognize how good he's been this season. And we've harped on it, so I don't want to sound like a broken record talking about how good Trevor Zegers has been when he only has two points in 11 games. But he has been excellent so far this year. And Greg Cronin even had a quote about how good he's been. But in this three-on-three overtime, there was, I think, one one part of it where he was on the ice and he did not have the puck at all. Arizona had the puck the entire time. But I think it was Matias Michelli had the puck. And he was just with him stride for stride the entire way. Did not give him a shooting lane. Did not give him a lane to the net. Did not give him a passing lane. He was on him completely. And it was happening right in front of me where the Coyotes had that puck the entire time. Did not get a dangerous look at all. And then when it eventually turns over, what does he do? He gets the puck, skates up to kind of break some pressure. Dumps it back to the back, uh, behind his own net to, I think it was Jackson Lacombe. Uh, so that he can get off the ice and make a change. Like, that is, if you want to know what Greg Cronin wants from Trevor Zegras, sure, he wants him to score, he wants him to do some stuff, but that is the exact type of situation, exact type of play that he's going to want for him in three-on-three overtime. Yeah, no, that that heads-up play by Zegras to, first off, like you were saying, the great defensive work, and then just that presence of mind to kill some time, you know, get off while also maintaining possession, like that. It's to your point. That's exactly what Greg Cronin wants. And it set up the eventual game-winning rush because off of that possession, the Ducks go down and score. Yep. And Mason McTavish deserves a lot of flowers. He's been so good. I'm kind of surprised we haven't talked about him yet. <laughs> we, Yeah. I mean, I think that this game wasn't necessarily his most impactful, so that's kind of why. Um, but, I mean, that play he had in overtime. Yeah. That was just a high-level, high-IQ play. Yeah. And it's funny because you see him skate up the ice. And even if you go back and rewatch it, you can hear Brian Hayward say he needs to get going because he's kind of slow. And um, I can't remember part who the, of the, plan. the Arizona defender or forward was on him, but he kind of slows down, puts his back to him and does a little shimmy shake to, to essentially get around him and beat the guy off the line and creates a two on one sets up a beautiful pass to, to Troy Terry, who nets it for the overtime winner with a hat trick. And that little play, I mean, it just goes to show the, the high level of skill that Mason McTavish has. He definitely has a bit more of the traditional hockey player that a lot of people think of with being a physical guy, that more hard player. But he has a high-level IQ, high-level skill also. And I think what's just so fun with this team right now is just they'll beat you in so many different ways. And the players all do it just – they're all high-level, high-skill players – but in different ways. And I think that that makes them not only fun to watch, but also uh, once they they get going and this team becomes contenders, they're going to be really difficult to beat because they're going to be able to play a lot of different ways depending on whatever team they're playing. Yeah, I think the through line with all these guys is that they're all really smart. 
They're all really yes. smart players. They're all really great thinkers with the puck. And I mean, Mason McTavish, like we've seen him do it before, but that he's one of the best I've seen just at that subtle shot fake, head fake on a two on one, just to get the goalie to and the defenseman to get them to commit just a little bit more to him before he perfectly wires it across to his intended receiver. I mean, he did it on that play and we've seen him do it multiple times this season. And it's just kind of, it's, it's emblematic of that whole play because he's always trying to manipulate, always trying to create options for himself. And yeah, he's, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's been the ducks best player so far this season, despite the fact that he has a crazy amount of points, 13 points in 11 games, six goals, but maybe the most impactful just with his production and coming through at the right time, right place, right time. Like he's, he's had an amazing start to the season. Yep. All right. And so that was uh, that game. And then we move on to the Sunday game. Yeah. Should we take a little break though, before we do that? Yeah, let's do that. So this episode is brought to you by Green Chef. So Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company. Green Chef makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals. They offer a range of recipes to suit your preference. Uh, So Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating clean. You can let Green Chef take the work out of eating clean this holiday season with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes featuring fresh ingredients with nothing artificial. Choose from recipes featuring lean proteins like turkey and sockeye salmon, barramundi, tilapia, scallops, and shrimp, certified organic whole fruits, vegetables, and eggs, and plenty of whole grain options. Uh, And if you're looking to stock up on functional snacks and clean beverages to energize you through the holidays, shop our new green bundles, now available at Green Market, your one-stop shop for nutritious grab-and-go breakfast, including green options, or including vegan options, uh, brunch kits, wholesome lunches, ready-to-eat snacks, veggie sides, and more you can easily add onto your weekly order. And they also have options for every lifestyle. Uh, You can eat clean the easy way with recipes that help manage your weight and support your wellness goals without skimping on flavor. Feel your best with nutritionist-approved recipes, including calorie-smart meals under 650 calories, protein-packed meals with at least 40 grams of protein on average per uh, serving, science-backed Mediterranean recipes, and flavorful plant-rich vegan and vegetarian meals uh, featuring certified organic whole fruits, vegetables, good for you, grains and plant-based proteins um and it's also sustainable they offset 100 of their delivery emissions as well as 100 of the plastics in every box plus nearly all packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas in the u.s and 100 of their seafood meats uh meet the monterey bay aquarium seafood watch rankings of certified best choice or good alternatives and i mean it's just super convenient and easy. They deliver everything you need to eat clean the uh, the easy way this November. Feel your best with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes packed with clean ingredients that support your healthy lifestyle and taste great too. Power through the bustling holiday season with our their convenient step-by-step recipes, including wholesome dinners ready in 30 minutes or less, 10-minute lunches, grab-and-go lunches, and green bundles featuring clean snacks and functional beverages. Plus, cut down on meal prep with pre-portioned and prepped ingredients, including pre measured sauces spices and dressings delivered right to your door uh so you, for green chef's best deal of the year you can get 250 dollars off yes that's 250 dollars off with the code ctp250 at greenchef.com ctp250 once again for green chef's best deal of the year 
you can get $250 off with the code CTP250 at greenchef.com slash CTP250. Once again, that's Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Okay, let's jump right back in here. Ducks, Vegas Golden Knights, Sunday night affair, 5 p.m. start, that classic, classic time slot at Honda Center. Yep. The Ducks survived this one. Yeah, and just briefly to touch on kind of going into the game, um, Vegas came into this game without a regulation loss. And there was a fun vibe going into this game at the arena because it almost felt like this was a measuring stick for this Ducks team where from a fan perspective, is this Ducks team for real? Will they be able to hang with Vegas? Will they be able to maybe not hang at five on five, but be able to be in the game with them? Or will they be, will this kind of set things right with kind of where the Ducks should be? overall and or are you allowed to kind of be excited and uh, dare to dream in some ways about what this ducks team could be and the end result of it was just almost elation is the best way to put it yeah well i think the big headline going into this game too is alex Kalorn making yes. his debut with the ducks and lucky for him gets to debut in those excellent plum jerseys oh. plum and aqua you had to go the, there the official term is you had to the, go there. The Eggplant and Jade. Term. Eggplant and Jade. Yeah, but Alex Kalorn back on the line with Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg. And I'm going to skip ahead here in the in the yeah. chronology and just say that I think Alex Kalorn looked great, A. Mm-hmm. And B, I think he's going to help this team immensely. Like that third line, there's a very strong case to me that the, the Kalorn-Henrique-Silverberg line was the Ducks' best line last night. Yeah, And, you know, Kalorn doesn't do anything fancy. But at the end of the day, I keep I, I wrote this down and I keep saying it. Kalorn is Kalorn. Like, he's just, he is a pro's pro. He just does everything well enough, extends plays, wins battles, gets to the net, has a great shot, has a good nose for the net. And that is just, that is going to pay off big time this season, I think. Yeah. Yep, it, it 100% will. He looked really, really good, I think, in this game. Um, I, I think we're we're going to see him grow a little bit. I think um, I think there's just a calming vibe from him. I'm just going to use vibe. Well, a bunch. well here, here's the thing is that, yeah. you know, right now the Ducks have really had to rely on their top their top six. Yes. You know, Car- Carlson, Zegers, Terry, which I wouldn't say they had their best game last night. You know, nobody really had a great, great game. No. I mean, except maybe Pavel Minchikov. But, you know, that line was held in check because the Vegas Golden Knights are who they are. And then you have the second line of Vetrano, McTavish, Strom, which, you know, was fine. But having a third line now where you have Kalorn, who is Kalorn, who is just a great all-around player, and you put him next to Adam Henrique, and even Jakob Silverberg, who can now chip in as a true support player, like that is a that is a quality third line. Like that is no longer a third line that you just kind of put out there and you're, yeah. you're happy with a draw. Like they can actually get out there, get some ozone time, keep things to the outside defensively. And here and there, like they, they created chances. Alex Kalorn had one of the, or was it Kalorn or Henrik, but those two linked up for one of the best scoring chances of the game. Yep. So that's, I mean, and, and they're going to play around with that configuration. I'm sure we're going to get questions about it, but yeah, his presence in this lineup is, is going to be huge. I think. Yeah, and overall from this game, this definitely was not the Ducks' sharpest game. I think the first period was probably the roughest period that they had. You brought up a good point in our Discord last night that 
the Ducks were hemmed in their zone a lot. And so on the surface, it looks poor. I mean, from an XG perspective and a shot volume perspective, it also looks poor. But the Ducks did a decent enough job of keeping it to the outside. They didn't allow a whole lot of danger, high danger chances outside of the couple of two-on-ones they yeah. allowed, which ended up being a goal but the, against. But that's the thing, though, to just jump in really quickly. Yeah, go for it. The, the, the best chances they allowed were off the rush. Like, yeah, the, the best ch- chances they allowed were actually off of their own mistakes in the O-zone. So their D-zone structure, I mean, it's it wasn't infallible. Like, they gave up chances, yeah. you know, off the cycle, but when Vegas was really kind of putting it on the ducks early, it was actually the ducks making mistakes with the puck that was giving Vegas life offensively, not the ducks making mistakes without the puck, which is, yep. which has not been the case for years, years. Yep. And then, I mean, from a game flow perspective, this was a game where I felt like once the ducks kind of were able to at least weather that first period a little bit, where they definitely were hemmed in their own zone the most, it felt like the second and third period, while being up and down, felt a bit more even overall for the most part. And that kind of bears itself out when you look at the difference between the the end of the first period and the end of the game. It It's somewhat even overall. Um, and, and so that's a really good sign from this team that they're able to at least take a bad period. You're down a goal. And in some ways kind of throw that out a little bit. And they were able to generate their own chances, especially in the first beginning part of that second period. And they also had really good waves in the third period. And I think the other thing just about this team is we talk about kind of a lot of the different stats, all the different types of stuff, but there does have to be a belief in the system, right? And we saw last year without a belief in the system, what happens? There's breakdowns. What? Without a system. Oh, yeah. There's breakdowns. You're not able to generate offense. It almost feels like individual efforts are all there There really can be. And in this game, it felt like they kind of trusted what they were going to do in the D zone throughout the game. And they were going to get their looks in the offensive zone, and they were going to capitalize on them uh, when they could get them. And there was a huge – the Henrique goal to start off the third period was massive because that brings them within one. Yeah. A little bit of a bang-bang play, a little bit A little bit of there. a gift. Yeah. A little bit of a gift, one where it's a weird deflection. And so that's one where maybe it's the – earlier in the season they weren't getting those bounces and now they are. Um, and then the game-tying goal came on a, a just brilliant play by Pavel Minchikov. I had to go back and rewatch that last night because I didn't notice it. I thought it was – kind of a, a deflection out or caught a skate and that ended up at Sam Carrick. And then when you rewatch it, I did not realize that was an actual pass from Minchikov. Like that ends yeah. up on a stick and he does a little toe drag to feed that puck into an area for Carrick and puts it in for Sam Carrick. Who's able to pull a really nice move on Logan Thompson and buries it in the five hole. And Sam Carrick, that is not a, an e- that is not a fourth liners move no, to pull. That, w- that was, that was a silky move to tie the yeah. game up. I mean, that felt like essentially, wasn't he? A, he was a scorer in the AHL. And you could kind of see that he was with how that play ended up, uh, ended up going there. And he doesn't get a whole lot of chances to show it, but wonderful play from him there. And then they end up getting the game winning goal with Mason McTavish just finding pucks and ending up doing what he does, which is scoring clutch goals. Yeah, that was also a bit of a I mean, bang, bang play. Yeah, like it wasn't. It wasn't this amazing kind of teamwork or team play goal, but it was right place at the right time. But a couple things like to go back to the the tying goal. What was interesting is that Minchikov was actually so before that play happens, Minchikov actually does a give and go off of the blue line, and he gets behind his defender and he tries to create an outnumbered situation in the slot. The Vegas Golden Knights recover the puck, but the Ducks are able to knock it back in. 
And as so as so as Vegas is coming out, Minchikov is still back there because he had activated off the blue line. So he's able to get that his stick in there and then just whack it over to Carrick. So so in a way, all of that happened because again, Minchikov is just so aggressive in moving off the blue line and right there, you know, he's it's not a, a spot you would traditionally expect a defenseman to be, but like he's just everywhere. And then the other thing I know I wanted to point out is that the Vegas Golden Knights to me clearly had an intention to make life miserable for the Ducks young D. You know, they were basically sending one four checker to pressure the puck and then as soon as you as soon as you show any sign of weakness as the puck carrier on the zone exit, they would send another guy. They were ba- like to put it in kind of simple terms, they were basically double teaming the puck carrier on exits. And the Ducks did a good job, I think, of adjusting to that as the game went on, you know, quicker passes or just skating it out because their their initial game plan was clearly changed. But also that style that Vegas was bringing, it's hard to keep up for 60 minutes, especially when you played the night before. Yeah. So it, it was a combination of all of those things. And I mean, probably the first star of the game, though, actually absolutely the first star of the game is yeah. John Gibson. 100%. John Gibson. John, this was his best game of the season. Yep. And I mean... You don't like that he had to get rest uh, due to going out injured against the Penguins, but, I mean, getting essentially a, almost a full week off for him ended up paying dividends because he came into this game, was rested, and it showed. He played fantastic, made some uh, amazing saves. You and I were talking about it before we went live, actually, and a lot of people put praise on the the breakaway save that he had on the power play um I think it was at the start of the third period to stop Jack Eichel, which the Ducks then scored after on that same power play. But there was a save later in that period where he ends up having a really nice push out and gets close to, I can't remember the Vegas shooter and kind of does a weird split situation where he ends up making a glove save. And that save where to be that athletic, to get that push out there where, I mean, you were saying that. I think he overcommitted. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but he, he recovered very well. Yes, like, and like that's okay. That, well, and that's where the the beauty of John Gibson is, and there is a contrast between John Gibson and Lucas Dostal. Lucas Dostal is going to be a li- little bit more controlled. He's going to have that same type of push, but he's going to be a bit more controlled and not overcommit to situations. John Gibson is going to overcommit at times, um, and but he has the athletic ability to make up for that with some great chance or great saves. Uh, Twinkie Boy in our YouTube chat saying it was against Ben Hutton that save. Yeah, the 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 Golden Knights have a lot of guys. Ben Hunt not being one of them, where I'm like, I've just never heard of this person. Yeah, I, I guess that's the cap world that that they're living in. But yep, yeah, Gibson had a great game. He made a bunch of just really difficult saves. Um, he also had a really good save on an Eichel one timer down the stretch. You know, I think that the the goal the goal that he let in off of Eichel's kind of wrist shot down the wing. You know. It's tough for me because on one hand you could say, oh, that was a short side shot and he's got to have that. But, you know, Eichel basically did his kind of best like Austin Matthews, Connor Bedard impression there where he did change the angle of the release. Yep. And just the amount of force, the amount of power in that shot as from that close as the angle is like I was thinking about this the other day. I have no idea how any goalie can stop these shots where the the angle changes and the guy can rip it like 80 miles an hour or whatever. Like I actually don't know how they make those saves. Like it's, it's almost impossible. And so, although it looks kind of weak because it's short side and as a goalie, like that's just a Cardinal sin, you know, no short side goals. I just, it's just a great play. So all in all, like I think Gibson, 
this is what you love to see from John Gibson because I think thus far this season, he's been good enough. He hasn't ever yep. had to really be truly great. But now on a night where the team kind of needs him to be great, he is that, and he he basically gets them a win. And I think that that's exactly the kind of balance you want to see from John Gibson. And you know maybe part of it, like you were alluding to, is the fact that he has a true kind of, I would say, foil now in Dostal who can actually hold up his end of the bargain and he doesn't have to play as much, doesn't have to carry as much of a workload. Like, yeah, the, the Ducks goaltending situation has been an underratedly really good driver of success so far. And it, it seems like Greg Cronin is just going to kind of keep with every other game. Because if you think back, Pittsburgh was a, a Gibson game last yeah. Monday. Then uh, by that logic, Wednesday should have been a Dostal game anyways, which he started even though he played two periods against Pittsburgh. Gibson yeah. didn't didn't back up in that game. Staylock was the backup, um, and then Gibson comes back and he plays the Sunday game, which would have been his start anyways if they were doing back to back. So, yeah. I just hope they continue this. Who cares? I, like, I think that we don't see this enough where you're giving your goalies a rest. I think you don't need to play into who's hot as much as you should. Well, it's also working. Yeah, like like it, they, they, I think they're getting the the most they really can out of both goalies. Like, cause if you think about it, goal, you know, John Gibson is a goalie who has been overworked pretty much his entire career in Anaheim Yep, and needs a break. And Lucas Dostal is also a goalie who is unproven with a high workload at the NHL level. So it kind of works for both goalies to kind of play this tandem style. Now we'll see if they stick with it. You know, I don't want to crown the ducks quite yet because they have a whole lot of bad pass to make up there with, with Gibson, but so far like so good. All right. Anything else that you want to cover about this game? No, I think things will come up via questions. Okay. The only other thing that we do need to cover is Tristan Leno, and we can cover that oh, yeah, kind of quickly. That's right. Tristan that's Leno right. uh, was scratched in, I believe, six straight games, and the rule is if you're scratched in five straight games, you're able to be sent down on a conditioning loan, uh, regardless of if you're AHL a- eligible by the AHL-CHL agreement, um, and you can do that for two weeks. So I believe that was last Wednesday when that happened. Um, maybe it was sooner. Or I'll need to double check that. Doesn't I actually matter. think it was on the weekend. Doesn't matter. Basically, he'll be in, in San Diego with the goals for two weeks. Um, and then he has to come back up. And he because he does not turn 20 until 2024, he cannot go back down to the goals until his uh, AHL or his, uh, junior season is over. Yeah. And so now, you know, he's going to get the stretch in the AHL. And I think that's some point he's going to go play in the world juniors probably you know assuming yep. he's on that team and then go back to junior and finish out the season there so this is basically what the seattle kraken did you know not quite exactly the same but this is similar to what the kraken did with shane wright last season yeah and i'm of i have a couple different layers of thought to this so one me with it my first layer is that i think tristan luno just didn't look nhl ready in the games he played like you know, it's just one of those things where, mm-hmm. you know, ball don't lie. Like if you if you don't look like you're ready, you probably you know if it smells like it, if it looks like it, it means you probably aren't ready. And I don't think he was. The other layer is that I think there's two ways this can go. You know, one is that Tristan Luno was the QMJHL Defenseman of the Year last year. Arguably, he doesn't really have that much to go back and learn and prove at the junior level. Arguably. Another argument is that 
you know, if he goes back to junior and, and he will going back to junior allows him to still grow the creativity in his game, you know, kind of expand his game in a way that he just can't really do at the pro level. At the pro level, it's a lot of filing down. It's okay. You have your strengths, you have your big skills. Now let's kind of polish you down to the point where you're a contributor at the pro level. And essentially with the way this is going to shake out, the ducks are going to get, I think the best of both worlds where he's going to go learn, you know, he's already played a little bit. You think he's already played like three games in the AHL by now, you know, playing in Charlotte this weekend. So he's going to get some of that pro exposure, some of the stuff that he probably needs to incorporate into his game. And then down the line, he's going to go back to junior, you know, kind of spread his wings a little bit more. But I think, you know, initially I really wasn't a fan of him being on the team at all, but the more I've kind of thought about it, talked to different people who've watched him a lot more than me about it. I think there's a, there's a good case that at least, you know, this is kind of going to be a, a best of both worlds situation for him, you know, moving towards his, his next season. Like he's going to get, you know, to dip his toes in a little bit of everything. Yep. And I think one thing worth mentioning is great Cronin was asked or I don't know how it got brought up, but essentially he asked brought it up Pavel on his Minchik. own. Su- yeah, Su- it, it, it was about Pavel Minchikov and how he's able to give up the puck. And he's like, we're able to, uh, he doesn't necessarily have the same junior tendencies that uh, to be quite frank, Zellweger has where he tries to do it on his own. And you've been watching the goals a bit and Zellweger has done a much better job. I think from what you've told me of dishing the puck off, making those types of plays um, in that situation and learning that. But, and he mentioned Tristan Leno with the ducks did do that. And so he's like, those are junior tendencies because you're able to beat guys. But once you get to the NHL, you're not able to do that. And so I think part of this is that if he goes back to junior, he's just going to kind of not do that same stuff. Cause I, they will give him some marching orders for things to work on, but you do start to go back to those habits because that w- has worked in the past. And so I think with Tristan Leno, sending him to the goals, letting him play two weeks there before going to world juniors gives him some more games that are in the pro level, but less high leverage and where he can potentially thrive and learn those types of things. Yeah. I don't think, I actually think that this situation is the best of both worlds because I think that he can still develop in junior. I think, I think he can still add to his arsenal there. Cause the thing with the thing with junior is that it's like what you said about the AHL, but even to a stronger degree, you there's less pressure. You're away from the pro limelight. You can try stuff that you just, you're not going to be able to try in, in the NHL. And, yeah, like there is an argument that, you know, those habits could end up costing you. But I think that's how we got Pavel Minchikov. Like that's the way that he was playing in junior, especially with Saginaw and and to a, to another degree, to a different degree with Ottawa. That kind of shaped the player that he is now. And getting to the pro level, you have all those layers, you have all those skills. And now it's just let's file you down. Let's refine you to the point where, you know, you're able to kind of do it all. And so. I like this plan for Luno. The more I've thought about it, I'm excited to watch him. May or may not be putting together a Luno video as we're speaking. Um, I have AHL TV on another window as we're talking here. But yeah, it's 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 always fun, I think, to see the different development plans for different players. You know, how, how the Ducks have treated one player hasn't really carried over to the next. It seems like each plan is really individualized to that player. Like even going back to last year where Olin Zellweger gets to camp and he doesn't even make it to the end of camp. They just sent him to junior, back to junior really early. So interesting to follow for sure. Yep. All right. Want to get to questions? Yeah. 
All right, so we'll start with our Discord, and then I have two DMs from Twitter, then we'll get to, to Twitch and YouTube. So Lactic said, for both of you guys, what modern player can be non-duck do you think would be uh, most similar to if, or you would be most similar to if you were an NHL player, or who <laughs> would you want to model your game after? Oh, I remember this question. Um, I My answer for this is Nikita Kucherov, because I'm not very fast. I like to think I'm a more cerebral player. And I can get a little feisty at times. And also Nikita Kucherov is one of the best playmakers to ever play. So I'll go with not a, not a bad player to model your game after. I will go with Martin St. Louis because I'm short. <laughs> hey, you know what? I yeah. I, I, I gotta respect that. Uh Zuzle said, did Jake throw his hat for Terry's hat trick? Uh this Ooh. may be controversial. No, I did not. I love my hats too much. And I was they're wearing expensive. one that I they're expensive and I have a lot of emotional attachment. So uh, I've thrown hats in the past and the last time I did, I deeply regretted doing it because that was a hat that I was not able to find afterwards and will never be able to find again. Cause it was a one-time ducks hat. So, uh, uh, after that I've been scarred, uh, Ryan said, if Max Jones is put in the AHL for five years, does he come out the other side looking like Sam Carrick? I don't know, man. I think yeah, if I he's know. in the AHL for five years, he might not be coming back. Yeah. Steve Rooch and Stan account said, how bad are the Sharks this year compared to last year's Ducks? I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I think the Sharks this year are just as bad. Like the Ducks last year were just as bad. They just didn't have these 10 goal games. They had a lot of six, nothing. Yeah. Seven, nothing losses. The Ducks just had John Gibson and Lucas Dostal and like Mackenzie Blackwood and Capo Kakinen haven't been awful for the Sharks, but they just not good enough to cover up that mess. Uh, Shake and Wink said, when will McTavish be named captain? What do you put the odds are on McTavish being the captain? I think it's 50-50, him and Troy Terry. I agree. Yeah. All right. Doom Grouser said, things are looking pretty desperate in Edmonton right now, particularly in goal. Conversely, the Ducks have two goal two good goaltenders in Dostal and Gibson. It's Edmonton offered to trade Campbell for Gibson. What would it take to make the Ducks agree? Does an unprotected 2024 first round pick get the deal done? Set aside any issues with trade protection. <laughs> oh man, this is a thought out question. Um, does it get it done on the duck side? Like, like the how do you the... like what would the Ducks have to get back in return? To make it worth it? I mean, yeah. what's Jack Campbell's contract? Uh, I think it's like three more years, isn't it? I mean, Jack Campbell's not good. He is not good at all. He is not good at all. Um, yeah, he's got three more years, five mil. And Gibson has... I think like more four than, more years. More than that. No, Gibson only has three more years. Okay, so it's the same term and you, close to the same money. It's a 1.4 million difference. Close, yeah. You could retain if you needed to. So because it's so kind of apples to apples contract wise, I think that helps the ducks Yeah. because Gibson becomes less of a negative value asset. Um, I mean, would I take the Oilers first round pick and just the Oilers first round pick Jack Campbell for John Gibson. I think you can probably get more. Yeah. I think, it would, I think it would, I think it would have to be more than just an unprotected first. Yeah. Like maybe a, a prospect. The question is, I don't know their prospect. I don't think their prospect pool is that great. Xavier Borgo, um, uh, Bo yeah. Aki, who I know that some of our uh, Discord folks loved. I know Mitch Brown loved in the draft. Um, yeah, but I'd probably a, a prospect to pick and uh, and Campbell, I guess. But I don't know. I don't know if that's the... I, I don't know I, if that... I'm, I think that's what it would take. I don't know if that's the optimal use of your team, though. 
Yeah, I'm also just not convinced that like this whole Edmonton doom spiral is actually going to last. Yeah, like, it's it's a lot of just kind of narrative right now. It's just it's just been ten plus games, so I don't know. Yeah, but interesting thought though. Olaf is berserker said, despite the win streak, how soon until we should start to worry about the five on five expected goal trend? I mean, here's the thing: like we were just talking about very briefly, like the these numbers are, are so prone to just completely changing overnight so i'm just not really going to care about anything numbers wise until like 20 ish games i think prior usual. to the pittsburgh game they were top 10 and now they're in the 20s yeah so let's just monitor it but i'm not dismissing I, it out of hand but i'm i'm just not really getting worked yeah, about it yeah i think i think after 20 to 25 games give me a quarter yeah. of the season yeah um Olali17 said, why do the Ducks always put Zegers in the box for bench minor slash goalie penalties, etc.? I know he doesn't kill penalties, but there's been times where the Ducks were tied late in the game He's and he served the penalty. If the game goes to 4-4, four four, now you can't play one of your best players. I actually don't know. I don't know. And I've seen, and I know exactly what he's talking about. I don't yeah. know. I think it is, I mean, I think the reason why they're doing it is specific of he doesn't kill penalties, so he's not going to be someone going out there. But, I mean, put Ross Johnston there. I mean, I guess maybe the other logic is he'll jump out of the box at the end of a PK and potentially get a breakaway a la Mason McTavish. Yeah. That that is probably the actual reason is that if you're going to put someone in there to break out of the box and potentially get a, a breakaway, you want someone like Trevor Zegras and not a Ross Johnston there. Um, Damn. Is Ross Johnston ever going to get a nice word out of you? I legitimately said I'm eating crow on him. <laughs> That is, that's I, not saying something nice about him. That's just that's just making it about you. Ross Johnson is not gonna be killing penalties. He is not gonna be out there in four on four hockey. Damn, just so brutal. Is it? Anyway, let's move. Let's okay. keep this train rolling. Jesse four five zero nine said, "Was it come when it comes to trades? Who on the Ducks is untouchable?" I mean, Leo Carlson to me, and honestly, it might just be Carlson and Minchikov at this point. That might be it. I like, think like, Carl, like Carlson Minchikov is such a unicorn. <laughs> Carlson Minchikov, Zegers McTavish. No, I think it's just ninety-one and thirty-four. Fair. I mean, I think that, like, if someone calls me and asks for Leo Carlson, I'm just hanging up. Yeah. If someone I, calls me and asks for Paul Minchikov, I'm hanging up. If someone calls and asks for Mason McTavish, Trevor Zegers, any of those guys, like, I'm not probably not going to do it, but I'm going to listen at least. Fair. Fair. I think I wouldn't necessarily listen on, on Zegris and McTavish, but fair. Uh, Brad said, it's clear that Cronin's style and strategic understanding of the game has benefited the team immediately. Which duck do you think has benefited the most? Oh, that is a great question, and I saw it earlier. I mean, I will give you three names. One is okay. Pavel, Min- one is Pavel Minchikov. <laughs> like, I think that the Ducks, okay. they're, they're allowing him to play a style that I don't think every team is necessarily willing to kind of live with this early in his career. And then the other two are guys that we really crapped on a lot last year, but Vetrano and Strom, like yep. they have just looked like different players to me under the system. I mean, that's the biggest game changer so far for this entire Ducks team is those two being reliable second liners because yeah, I feel like we weren't even talking about either of them as being top six, top no. like top nine players. And the fact that it's not smoke and mirrors necessarily. Sure, Vetrano's shooting at an insane percentage, but there's good underlying process for both of those guys there. And They've so, looked good. Yeah, they definitely have. Uh, let's see. Goose said, do we see McTavish elevated to the first line to allow Leo Carlson to play with a more seasoned line? No, I think keep the balance as it is. Like it's, yep. It's looking good. I mean, it's working well. And I think Z- the, Leo's line works to his strengths. So I and don't really see Zegers, the Carlson, Terry have been really effective. Like, 
They yeah. don't have the goals to match, but I think, I mean, Greg Cronin had some quotes today about Trevor Zegers specifically about how he's been good defensively. Analytically, he's been good. Um, and the goals are just going to come eventually. And he's like, he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. He's getting a lot of high danger yep. chances and they're going to go in the net. Um, and he's like, once they go in the net, then this won't even be a conversation we're having. Yeah. Um, so much of the Zegers narrative is just based on points. Like, yep. But if you watch him play, the chances are he's, happening. This is the best 11 game stretch, I think, of his career. 11. His number. There you go. Didn't even do that on purpose. Uh, Brad said, are there any changes you would make to any of the top three lines when McGinn returns? I mean, maybe put McGinn instead of Silverberg on the third line. Maybe. Here I, here I am dumping on 33 yet again, but that might be the only tweak that I make. Yep. Uh, he said Vegas has Cronin at five, plus 5,000 to win the Adams. Uh, thoughts? I don't gamble. Bet on it if you're a gambling man because if the Ducks somehow make the playoffs, he will win the Adams. Uh, by the way, want to give a shout out right now. Chubbs Peterson uh, gave us a $2 super chat. McTavish, uh, next captain, no doubt. Rudy and Felix are the goats. Shout out Thank to you, Chubbs. So- shout out, Chubbs. Thank you so much. Tulsa said, where does where do you think Kalorn ends up in the lineup? Uh, I think that he probably get, moves up to the second line at some point. I think when Carlson goes out, he ends up with uh, Zegris and Terry. I don't even think about the lineup without Carlson. I just, well, I just do. I, I base all my answers with Carlson in the lineup. I mean, it's going to happen at some point this week. So there's that. Well, Carlson's going to play. I mean, presumably he's going to play every game, like at some point. So sure, this, but this I, is, I this is just like not sure. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, and then he said, should Silverberg be on the fourth line at this stage in his career? I mean, Silverberg just needs to be in a position to succeed. And right now, playing with Adam Henrique and Alex Kalorn, he's in a position to succeed. Um, yep. But, you know, if fourth line ideally is probably best, though. Puff said, is it telling that management isn't pushing a Zegers needs confidence agenda like they did with Terry a few seasons back? A lot has changed. A lot has definitely changed. Goose said, what does a Ducks trade package for Leon Dreisaitl look like? Just everything. Uh, yeah, a lot. Everything. I, yeah. Dalton Key said, do you believe? Yeah, I do. Yes, I do. Let me ask you this. This is a question from Jake Rudolph. What do you put the odds that the Ducks make in the playoffs? For half a second, I was like, wait, who's Jake Rudolph? Like, that actually <laughs> crossed my mind. I thought that was like a real, like, that was a person you were referring to. That wasn't you. Um, The odds right now, I'm going to go like 40, 60. Yeah. Like forty percent chance, way higher than I thought it would be. I mean, uh, they're they're playing well. Like, they're playing. I mean, they're playing well, and they've like they've uh, they've bagged all these points. Like you don't yeah. give up points in they're, like for the games that you've won. They're out here bagging, bagging. And Jesse, Jesse forty five oh nine said, "Who wins the cup first, Ducks or Habs?" Uh, next question. Okay. Follow up from Steve Roots and Santa Cat. It's, pro- it's probably the Ducks. It's probably will the, the will the Ducks match the Habs for the amount of cup wins in the next fifty years? I hope I get to watch all those next fifty years. Um, probably not though. It's a, that's yeah. a lot of cups. They'd have to win it's a cup every other year. Yeah. No. Uh, Terry saved us said, based on what you've seen so far in eleven games, what are your trade deadline moves with our contract year players? <sighs> Man, that's so tough. Give me give me eleven more games. Okay. I'm pu- I'm punting. I will say, you know what? Screw it. Keep them. Your own rentals. Your own rentals. 
Okay. That play that playoff run with that experience for them could be more use way more useful than that additional pick. Well, even a playoff chase. Like yeah. forget a playoff run. Like just play games that matter. Like late at a in certain season. at a certain point the Ducks have a shit ton of assets already. That experience yeah. could be more useful than those extra assets. Yeah, like that extra second round pick on a yeah. guy who might not play for another three. I mean, it's the whole argument. So. Yep. Steve Rich and Stan account said with Kalorn's return to the lineup uh, and the Zegers Carlson Terry line doing a lot of good things, but not exactly producing results on the board. Is it time to split up that line? No, 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 no. no. We need nope. to stop living in points world. Yep. That line well, has been fantastic. Points world will get you killed. Jesse 4509 said, when does Zegers' lack of produ- point production become an issue? Get out of points world. Watch, <laughs> watch. Uh, if he does not have points, like a decent amount of points and is not impacting goals by maybe the 40 game mark. I will start being way more concerned. Yeah. Like at a certain point, you know, you do like, of course you are concerned. I'm not just dismissing it, but I would be concerned. I will only be concerned if there's just no process, as long as there's a great process, I'm just going to keep believing. Yep. Uh, duck tracker said, what have you noticed that the ducks are doing differently on special teams to have such a sharp turnaround of both the PK and power play? Is this like in season or from last season? I think last season. Uh, I mean, better players for one. PK specifically, like their their system is much better. So far this season on the power play, like I think they're still figuring it out. So I wouldn't really call it a sharp turnaround, but just a, more talent. I mean, Pavel at the point, Leo Carlson there, like that's going to make a big difference. Yep. Goose said, at what point does Zegers switch back to center? I mean, he plays center like when Leo Carlson is not in the lineup and he t- still takes a bunch of face-offs. He's still taking a decent amount of face-offs. So I don't know. He might never, he might never become like, he might never go back to full-time center. Yeah. Uh, Sky Paul said, uh, now that they are on a seven game win streak, is it seven? Is wait, is it seven six. or six? It's six. six. It's not. Seven. Okay. How has your point prediction changed? What is your point prediction now? And do the Ducks make the playoffs? I mean, I'm still going to stick with that kind of what I said last podcast, which is like low 80s. Um, I'm going high 80s to low 90s. My thing is they're 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 going to lose some of these games that they're yep. winning right now. And so it's going to even out and they're going to stay on this kind of 80-ish point path. I think mid, mid to high 80s. I'll go there. How about that? Uh, DJ... Phoenix or PHX 32 said thoughts on Cronus Crona as overall system so far. Two thumbs up. Very, 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 very good. All right. Uh, you got more time for a couple more questions. Yeah. Let's do a, let's do like, let's do five questions. Okay. So no Twitter questions then we're skipping Twitter. No, let's skip. Twitter. Okay. Sorry. So for everyone in the, sorry, people on Twitter, I think it was two questions maybe at the end. We'll see. Uh, but for people in the YouTube chat or the Twitch chat, please start throwing your questions in. But if you're listening to this, uh, this podcast on your favorite podcast services, you can find us each and every time we do this live on Mondays at 8 p.m. at twitch.tv slash CrashPond, where if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. Um, and it does help out more than you can imagine. You just, ha- just have to hit that subscribe button. You can also follow us there to get notified when we go live or... If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, or sorry, if you have a YouTube account, and I know everyone listening has a YouTube account, go find our Crash the Pond channel there. Like our video, subscribe to our channel. We have a way to support us there if you want. You can give us super chats like Chubbs Peterson, different ways to support us over there. So we got this question from Ducks uh, saying two, uh, two questions for you. 
Uh, all in your guys' favorite categories predictions. Does the streak continue tomorrow, and how many points do you think Zegers will get over the next 10 games? Uh, I'm going to go with six points for Zegers in the next okay. 10. And does the streak continue tomorrow? They play Pittsburgh? Yeah. Uh, let's go with a get-right win for the Ducks. Like, even though, yes, they have been winning, I think they have a better kind of overall game tomorrow and, and continue it. Yep, I'm going to go yes, and I will say Zegris gets, you know, screw it, 10 points in 10 games. Okay, there you go. Why, why not? Uh, Allison asks, th- do you think it's possible that Zegris gets tired of playing wing? I think he would get tired of it if he was playing, like, with – I don't want to throw any – I don't want to throw any bottom sixers uh, under the bus. So I'll just say – I think he would get tired of it if he was playing on a line that wasn't, you know, generating offense. But, I mean, he's playing with Leo Carlson and Troy Terry. Like, he's in a great position. He's still taking face off. So, and he's, he's, even, he's even talked about loving playing with Leo Carlson. Like, I just think that it would only come into play if he was on a shitty line. Basically. And he mentioned, and he mentioned it also when asked about uh, playing wing, and he said last year I never got to play with a center that was the same handed uh, handedness as me hmm. uh, when I was uh, or play wing with a center that was same handedness as me. So he's like, I really wanted to play with McTavish, and that never happened because him and I think the game well, think the game the same. So I'm able to go to spots where he, I know he's going to be looking yeah. for. And so that same type of deal could happen here. I think that's a really, really smart point that Trevor Zegers had and something that he probably looks for in a center that he would be playing with. And you look at all the time he was at wing, it was never in that situation. Um, yeah. Ray Gonzalez said, do you think a- uh, Akins and Grant opened a food truck and what would they sell? Uh, I, got, I got nothing. I'm not going to answer that one because okay. my, my opinion is not uh, suitable for work. Michael Bosch McNabb said, do the Ducks attempt to give Kane a shot at a very low cost? Nah. Yeah, no. I mean, it's not going to be a low cost. I don't think that, Kane that, will uh, want to come to the Ducks. That goose is cooked. Yeah. Uh, Lewis said, can Felix go a day without uh, using the McDonald's police gif? That's so, just for Discord people. So for if you're in our Discord, you know that I've grown an affinity for a certain gif. And no, I'm not going to go a day without it just because you asked that. Yeah. And that's it for questions. We have two from Twitter. You want me to do them? Sure. All right. Adam Prohl said, the way that Carlson's been playing in this short window, do you think he's proven he can play in the NHL, and do you think he's here to stay? Wait, who? Carlson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the plan. Yep. And Chris Kober said, what do you guys think is the difference between Verbeek setting up a load management plan for Carlson but not Minchikov? Seems to me like the player with less senior level experience, fewer games played last year, and a more demanding position uh, with Minchikov would be more likely to need load management early in his career. Is it just the age difference or maybe that he just looks more ready than Leo so far? I honestly don't have a great answer for that. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's probably, I think the age difference is probably a big one. I think the fact that Minchikov is just a year older than, than Leo Carlson probably does that. I mean, it could just be that Carlson, they thought he really needed to work on, work on uh, adding the extra pounds there and, Minchikov did that last year, and so they think he's more physically ready for the the entirety of the NHL season. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely tough to come up with an answer. I also just why. don't think it really matters. Yeah, fair. I, I I just I feel like people use that to kind of discredit what they're doing with Leo. I'm not saying this person is, but I've seen that come up, and I just it's just kind of a red herring. So yep. All right, I have a softball actually, so we'll end with this one. Allison said, "Any prospects you're excited about making the show in the coming years?" 
I mean, Olin Zellweger. Tristan Luneau is the first that comes to mind because we were just talking about him. Yeah. But yeah, Zellweger, Luneau. Zellweger. It's, it's kind of fun that we haven't seen Zellweger yet in the NHL because we still have that to look forward to. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's still a lot of good players on the way. So the this train is not yet all the way arrived. I mean, we're definitely going to, I think, get a Zellweger cameo at some point this year. I don't think he goes the entire season without playing a game for the Ducks. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I honestly okay. don't know. All right. All right. That'll um, do it. I do want to address a couple things, though. Okay. Some very important things that came up. D-Rock asked me, why do I not like 100 grands? And that's the candy, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. The reason I think that is because it's not good. It's really, really bad. They're it so like, delicious. It, it tastes like they, crap. They are the best Halloween candy. I've never eaten crap of any species, but that's what I think what it would taste like. It's so good. It's so, it, so good. It tastes crappy. It's so good. Um, uh, Dflo asks, if lunch is con- is consumed before 11 a.m., is it really lunch? And I'm going to give some some flowers to our, our man Lou here and say, you know what? It all depends on your own schedule. If, if 11 a.m. makes the most sense for your lunchtime, go for it. Who, who's to say? Why are we imposing mealtime norms on other people? So shame on Flo for that. And uh, uh yep. Jack's Jack asked who would be better on the first line, Max Jones or Max Janes? I think I think he photoshopped his face on Max Max yeah. Jones. So there's I mean, that. At this, yeah, at this point it could be either. I, it looks like Bob might have had a question, but you know what? Eh, we'll skip it. Yeah, Bob Bob likes to whine and moan <laughs> and then be like, haha, just kidding. Yeah. So can never really tell with him. Um love you, Bob. Um <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm all done here. Yep. On that note, uh, thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate you guys. We hope that the good times keep rolling. If you want to support our show and keep it, you know, growing, thriving, and, you know, live, live, laugh, loving, there's a couple different ways for you to do that. The number one way is to go check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. Link will be in the show description. For a dollar a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord server. You get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans. It's honestly the best. We talk about it all the time on the show. It's a great community. Join it, join it, join it. For $5 a month, you get access to two bonus podcasts a month and the Discord. And we are now adding YouTube videos there, private exclusive YouTube videos. Um, you know, So it's kind of like the player breakdowns we have on our current channel. But I think... You know they're they're going to be whatever you guys want. So if you guys want a prospect video in the AHL or a specific NHL player, it's going to be very responsive to whatever you guys want. That's for five dollars a month. Go to Patreon.com/slash/CrashThePond. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can uh, also subscribe to us on Spotify. Check out our shop, CrashThePond.com/slash/shop. We are selling T-shirts. We are Vibes HC. Join the I revolution. Am- I am wearing the shirt, and I will model it for anyone watching this while you keep going. Uh, let's see it. Let's give us the twirly bird. Oh, yeah, Anaheim vibes. You can see it there. Great logo. It's just so good. The The palm tree and the hockey stick, it's the best. We've got different colors. It's got the plum and aqua slash plum and royal purple slash eggplant and jade. Wait, plum and royal purple? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the best. Uh, uh, honestly... 
people have been really loving these shirts. We've been getting some great feedback. Apparently, they're really comfortable. They're they like are. Soft. It is very, very comfortable. Um, all the shirts on the website are the, actually the same material. You're, so you're being whether... asked to strip in on the stream right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. This isn't that kind of. This isn't that kind of stream. No, they're, this isn't. Go, go find that elsewhere. Go to our Patreon and subscribe to the fifteen dollar tier, maybe. <laughs> wow. Um, but uh, all the shirts on the website are really comfortable. They're all the same material. There's a long sleeve version of the shirt. Also, oh, that's right. with with the way our print on demand stuff works, if you have any requests, whether it's a long sleeve, things like that, there's no certain amount of orders that we have to do to get them printed. So I can pretty easily and pretty quickly make the design on anything that you want. So reach out to me if you want a sweatshirt, do it on a tank top, anything like that. If you want it, I can add it to our shop so that you can order it and uh, we can go from there. And yes, as Felix, I think you mentioned hats, we're working on hats where we have some sample orders coming in soon. We want to, uh, take a look at them to make sure the highest there, they, we, uh, we they are the our... highest qualities before yeah. we, we put them on there for you all. So it is up to the standards that we have for hats. We want to get our heads in them. So yep, we'll see. Yep. Pause. Um, someone is saying in the chat, you know, do not talk to me before I've had my coffee. And honestly, that's a pretty accurate statement about me so i'm being uh, asked if it can be on a bikini i think there actually is an option if you if you want hey ask and you shall receive we are we're we're men of the people db lowry i'm going to make this right now and now you have to buy it there you go this is what you did to yourself people want flex fit hats um anyway on that note um also find us on social media channels instagram uh what what should we call it what's that one thing called tiktok uh youtube x we're on it all search for crash the pond search for our names we'll be there hope you enjoyed this video guys sorry (laughs) episode thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week have a good one bye